If you will, open your Bibles this morning to John chapter 3. John chapter 3. We're back in this great and glorious text of Scripture. <clears throat> Jesus and His conversation with Nicodemus. Let's pray and then we'll read the text and jump in. Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You that it alone speaks life where there is death, that it overcomes. As Jeremiah said, it's like the hammer that breaks the rock in pieces. It is a fire that burns in our soul. It does the work that no man can do. And You have, by love and by grace, chosen to speak to us. I don't know why. None of us will ever know why. But You have spoken and You have spoken powerfully. And You have spoken savingly. We pray that we would see that this morning as You, Lord Jesus, conversed with Nicodemus. Thank You for preserving, Holy Spirit, this wonderful account for us that we might know what happened and learn from it and ourselves come to know more of Jesus. So, Lord Jesus, use this how You will. May the words spoken about the text be faithful to the text so that the text, the Word of God alone, does the work in the hands of You, Holy Spirit. We pray this all for Your glory alone, Father, Son, and Spirit. Amen. Let's begin reading again in John chapter 3. Let's start in verse 1, and then we'll go down through verse 15. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but do not know where it comes from and where it is going. So is everyone who's born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said to him, Are you the teacher of Israel and do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and testify of what we have seen. And you do not accept our testimony. If I told you of earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven, but he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, so that whoever believes will, whoever believes will in him have eternal life so jesus 
This morning is continuing this great discussion that he has been having with Nicodemus. And as we continue to follow along and as we continue to read in the text of Scripture and hear the back and forth between these two men, we find that what occurs between Jesus and Nicodemus is so often the case that occurs with us as well. And that is simply this. What we hope to hear is not always what we need to hear. Nicodemus wants to hear certain things from Jesus, but it is not the things that Nicodemus is hearing. And so Nicodemus becomes frustrated. Jesus cuts across every grain of Nicodemus's being. He challenges Nicodemus at every turn and in every point. Every question of Nicodemus finds a divinely inspired answer and yet more frustration on his part. It unsettled Nicodemus to have the legs, as it were, taken out from under him in all of his fastidious religious practice. It confused Nicodemus because Jesus speaks of a new birth that can only come from the Holy Spirit. It cannot be generated by anything Nicodemus does. And it's scary because Nicodemus now has nothing on which to base his entire life that he has been so careful to live in such a strict manner. We've all been there, haven't we? We, we think we're headed the right direction. We think we know something that's right and true. We, 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 we have the best intentions. We have the best motives. We have been uh, as devoted as we can possibly be in some aspect of life. And then all of a sudden you find out I was wrong. I was completely missing the point. I was completely headed the wrong direction with this or that. And it's unsettling and it's confusing. And it's, yes, it is scary. It's tremendously scary. And then it becomes just frustrating. Why wasn't I told? Why didn't somebody tell me? Why didn't somebody warn me? But being the gracious Savior, the God of truth that Jesus is, He doesn't shy away or change His tune or change His approach in order to make Nicodemus comfortable. He just continues to tell him what he needs to hear even though it is not what he hoped to hear nor what he wanted to hear. Jesus continues on. Why? Because it was best for Nicodemus to hear the truth. It was best for Nicodemus to be challenged, even though it made him uncomfortable. And so having heard Jesus' answer in verses 5-8 through to Nicodemus' second round of questioning, Nicodemus becomes somewhat exasperated, it would appear, in the text. His, His incredulity as he questions Jesus. He's incredulous. Jesus, what are you saying? This is nonsense to my ears. What are you telling me? 
I need you to, to speak what I want to hear. I need you to speak what I'm familiar with hearing. Jesus, I don't get it. And so he comes back again in verse 9 with a question. Jesus, how can this be? How can this be? But Jesus, the Son of God, is not long to be questioned. You'll notice in the text, this is the last we hear from Nicodemus. He doesn't come back for round four. Jesus addresses. Jesus is direct. Jesus is unflinching to give Nicodemus what he needs to hear. And he gives it to him again. He won't be questioned in a sense of frustration or in a sense of rejection. And so Jesus, to make the point clear for Nicodemus, who is still listening, although he is not speaking, Jesus gets very pointed in his monologue that follows. Jesus goes straight to the heart. And though he is patient and though he is kind, he's not content. And this is a lesson we all must take. Jesus is not content to debate truth with you and I that has been definitively laid out. Jesus doesn't debate. If you read the Gospels, you'll discover this. Jesus is a preacher. He is not a conversationalist. He's not here to take into account the way you may feel about this, that, or the other. He is here to tell you what the truth is. He's not here to say, well, I'm willing to concede this point, but I have to stand here. Let's negotiate. No, Jesus is a preacher of truth. And whether it is convenient, whether it is what the audience wanted to hear, whether it is what you and I want to hear, Jesus is here for one purpose and one purpose only, and that is to speak the truth. And so in doing so, Jesus gives this morning the non-negotiable responses to His teaching. Regardless of how you may feel about Jesus, regardless of how you may feel about the Gospel, Jesus has determined and Jesus has said what are the non-negotiable responses to His teaching. And he doesn't say that because he's cruel. We need to get that through our mind. He's not being cruel to Nicodemus. He is loving Nicodemus because to tell Nicodemus anything else is to send Nicodemus for the rest of his life on a quest that will lead him straight to hell. Jesus steps in and he speaks truth that leads to life. Even though Nicodemus doesn't want to hear it, even though it's not what Nicodemus is familiar with, even though none of those things are true for Nicodemus, Jesus knows what he needs. And he loves him enough and he cares for him enough to speak truth to him. And so Jesus delivers for Nicodemus the non-negotiable responses now here in this monologue. First, by responding to the Direct question Nicodemus asked in verse 9. Second, by issuing the necessity of submitting to Jesus' response. Nicodemus had no choice. There was no one else to whom Nicodemus could go to appeal what Jesus had said. 
Nicodemus must simply submit to the truth. And third, Jesus' own response calls for nothing short of Nicodemus' belief. Life overcoming, life changing belief. Full surrender. And so let's begin this morning by looking at the question, shall we, in verse 9, that provokes the responses. That provokes Jesus to give the answers that he gives. First of all, Nicodemus says, Jesus, this is now what the, the, the fourth round of questioning uh, Jesus has, or, or the third, I should say, that Nicodemus offers to Jesus. How can it be? He throws up his hands. He's not asking questions specifically as he did in verse 4. He's not thinly veiling questions as he does in verses 1 and 2. Nicodemus is throwing up his hands after receiving the answers to those first two inquiries and saying, well, how can that be? It's unbelief. It's rejection. Nicodemus is questioning causes us to ultimately say Nicodemus is not yet in the kingdom. We may commend Nicodemus in coming to Jesus, right? We should. Verses 1 and 2. He comes to Jesus. At least he has the courage to do that, albeit at night. But we cannot commend where he ends up in verse 9. Well, how can that be? Frustration, exasperation, a a lack of belief at this point. Now again, I'll say I I believe that Nicodemus does eventually offer up the right responses. Nicodemus is eventually saved. I think the end of the gospel bears that out and we'll get to that eventually. But this encounter is one that provides much opportunity here in verses 9 through 15 for soul searching as we examine not only what Nicodemus does, but what we profess. How we respond at times when it may be that we are wrestling with God as Nicodemus is attempting to do. And like Nicodemus, brothers and sisters, dear friends, when we reject the teaching of Scripture. Our problem is not a lack of revelation. Our problem is an abundance of rebellion. God has spoken. God has spoken clearly. The problem is not on God's end. The problem is on our end. Nicodemus has received an answer, and as Jesus makes clear in verse 10, it is an answer he should have been prepared for. It should not have been foreign to him. And in case you think, Brian, you must have not gotten enough sleep last night. You sound grumpy. You sound like you're being hard on poor Nicodemus. To to say that he's rebelling by asking this question in verse 9, how could you say that? Or Nicodemus. Well, would you look back at verse 7 with me? Look what Jesus says. Do not be amazed. And, And you remember from last week, the word amazed, as it's used most often in the New Testament, does not have the connotation of, oh, how wonderful. 
How surprise! This is great. It has the word to be scandalized. It's to be troubled. It's to have shock dumped into your life. And so Jesus has already told Nicodemus, Nicodemus, don't be scandalized by what I'm saying. Don't be shocked by what I'm saying. Don't, Nicodemus. And what do we find Nicodemus doing in verse 9? Shock. Scandalized. Well, Jesus, how can that be? Wait, 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 wait. I just told you. Don't be amazed when I say to you these things. And yet, we find Nicodemus right in that place, being amazed. Nicodemus is asking if it's even possible that the Spirit would work like this. That man could be born again. And yet, here's the irony. He is addressing the very one through whom the impossible has already been done. Think about the irony. Nicodemus has come to Jesus in verses 1 and 2, and he has said to Jesus, Now Jesus, the signs that you've done, we know no one can do. In other words, let's put it in plain speak, it's impossible. Unless God does it. And yet here you are doing it. You do the impossible. That's why I got my attention. That's why I wanted to come talk to you tonight. And now he's asking Jesus, is it even possible? You know, the sarcastic side of you wants to say, I don't know, Nicodemus, you just said it was. So why are you changing your tune midstream? Nicodemus has already admitted that Jesus does what only God can do. And we know this, right? With God, all things are possible so maybe i'm not being too hard on nicodemus nicodemus is being inconsistent he's being in direct defiance of what jesus has told him not to do these things that nicodemus speaks of in verse 9 are the representative totality of all that jesus is saying how can any of this be jesus is it even possible? Does this This sounds like crazy talk to me. And yet even in his rebellion, I mean even in his asking there's clear indication of rebelling against a specific prohibition. Murray Harris writes this, he says in context we might have expected Jesus to speak this way. Stop being astonished. What Jesus is essentially doing and saying that is He's prohibiting not only immediately, right now, don't be astonished, but don't be astonished when I tell you the rest of the story either. It has a, a future prohibition. It is, don't be astonished by anything that I have said. And Nicodemus certainly is. Don't be surprised, Nicodemus. Nicodemus, having received all the instruction necessary, like a child around a hot stove, he's been told, he's been warned, he's 
been told to stay away while mom is cooking with the admonition, don't. You're not touching it yet, Nicodemus, but don't start, right? And what does Nicodemus do? Like a, a, a defiant child goes up and not only touch, gets close to the stove, he goes up and flat palms the thing just to see if it's really hot only to recoil in frustration. He scandalized at the very time and point Jesus had warned him not to be. This is a critical point in Jesus dealing with Nicodemus' heart. But rather than submitting in faith, Nicodemus continues rebelling in reason. And that's how it so often looks for us, isn't it? dressed up in the pitiful garment of human limitation and dullness. We argue with God. And we use our ignorance as an excuse. Well, I just don't see how that can be. Well, I just can't reason that out of my mind. God didn't ask you to reason it out. God commanded you to believe it's true. And Nicodemus, poor Nicodemus, is just scandalized by this. But before we throw too many stones, let's remember we do too. It's human nature. It's fallen human nature. It's depraved human nature to respond that way. To quote the great American theologian Mark Twain, he said, it ain't those parts of the Bible that I can't understand that bother me. It's the parts that I do understand. I think Nicodemus understands more. Than maybe he lets on, but he's bothered by it. He understands the implications. May we all take note and take heed. There's a limit in our freedom to question when absolute truth has been presented by the Scripture. By Jesus. As Abner Chow recently said, you don't negotiate with absolute truth, you just obey it. In this case, you just believe it. But I want you to notice Jesus' response in His subduing of Nicodemus in verse 10. Jesus answered and said to him, Are you the teacher of Israel and do not understand these things? Jesus Issues what may not come across exactly to us, but is in fact the reality. This is a strong response. This is Jesus calling him out. Again, it, it, it may not be completely obvious to us, but I want you to notice how Jesus does it. Not only does he ask a pointed question, but he does so right back at Nicodemus. It is tit for tat. And that's been really the whole pattern of this whole discourse. Jesus will not be challenged. He won't be overcome. Whatever you can do, he will do better. If we can say it that way. What did you think about this? Nicodemus declared in verse 2, we know. Jesus said in verse 11, we know. Nicodemus says, you're the teacher in verse 2. Jesus says in verse 10, are you the teacher? Nicodemus says that 
No man can do this except God is with him in verse 2. And Jesus says, well, let me tell you this, except a man be born again in verse 3. He's meeting Nicodemus charge for charge, question for question. Nicodemus says in verse 4, how can a man be be born? Jesus says, unless a man is born. Nicodemus says in verse 4, can he enter? Jesus says in verse 5, he cannot enter. Nicodemus asks, how can it be in verse 9? Jesus says, how shall it be in verse 12? Nicodemus says, how can these things be? And Jesus says in verse 10, how do you not know these things? At every turn, And with every opportunity, Jesus, the divine king, the divine sovereign, subdues and puts down the rebellion of unbelief in Nicodemus' heart. Now, is Nicodemus vicious about it? No, absolutely not. But rebellion is rebellion. It is rejection of clearly revealed truth. And Jesus matches that Not because he is angry, but because, listen, brothers and sisters, grace cannot allow error to go unchallenged. Or it is no longer grace. It is complicity in destruction. And death is the outcome. And Jesus, as a God of grace, will not allow that to happen. And so meets very strongly and very pointedly Nicodemus' doubt. He's doubting to his own peril and he doesn't even see it. And Jesus will not suffer either his own glory as the sovereign Savior, nor his glory as the one who created Nicodemus' life physically to be slighted. He will be clearly understood in salvation and he does not desire that Nicodemus would perish as one created by him. And so Jesus patiently continues to teach him. Sometimes determined evangelism calls for negative and strong responses. Let me say that again. Sometimes determined evangelism, and if we're not determined in our evangelism, we're not evangelizing. It must be determined persuaded and at times it calls for negative and strong responses to correct error for the sake of true saving faith what do i mean by that well there's someone you love and care about if you go to them and you're seeking to plead with them to believe on the lord jesus christ And they say to you some erroneous statement, some errant statement that is absolutely opposed to the gospel. You, if you love them and if you are determined to evangelize them and you are determined to present the truth to them, do not allow that error to go unchallenged, do you? That's why apologetics is such a huge field and ties so closely to evangelism. We have to be people of truth jesus is a god of truth and he doesn't allow error to be thrown out 
He doesn't allow truth to be challenged without correcting it. He does so. Why? He's unwilling to be a participant in bearing false witness. That's become, sadly, so much of Christianity. Oh, sure, you want to believe that? You can believe that. It's okay. So much so that one of the latest surveys shows that 33% of professing evangelicals do not believe Jesus Christ is God. You know why they believe that? Because somebody let them believe that. Oh, I can be a Christian and not believe Jesus is God. No, you can't. There are so many other errors that float around. You know why they float around? You know how they got into the church? Because we lack determined evangelism like Jesus has that says there is only one way and it has to be within the parameters of what I say. And so it's actually a loving thing. He's he's not going to lie to Nicodemus and let Nicodemus say things that aren't true. He's going to have to correct that, right? Jesus will have no part in it and so his response is strong he challenges nicodemus notice the text on the basis of the fact that he is the teacher now in the original language in which john wrote the bible he didn't speak english but it is emphatic it is a definitive article he is the teacher we might say it this way in our days he's the goat he's the best nobody's bigger or better than Nicodemus when it comes to Jewish theology. He is the teacher of Israel. Not to nerd out too much, but to emphasize the point, it's written in the possessive language. Israel possesses the teacher. He is the man. He's the academic dean of the religiously dedicated. He's the encyclopedia of Jewish knowledge. You want to know something? Go see Nicodemus. He's the best-selling author of his day. Yet his academic review in light of Jesus reveals a glaring deficiency. He is wrong on the most fundamental issue. And if you're wrong here, you'll be wrong everywhere else. And so Jesus says we've got to stop it. He is demonstrating he does not have the ability to live up to the title. Jesus is kind of mocking him a little bit. So you're the teacher and you don't know this? How did you miss this, Nicodemus? This is rudimentary. This is first year seminary kind of stuff. He had forfeited his status as the teacher of Israel. And here's the irony again one who is not qualified in earthly terms is now teaching the one who is most qualified in earthly terms. Jesus never went to their seminaries. Jesus never went to their schools. Jesus never sat at the feet of their rabbis in order to learn anything. And yet now here is the teacher sent from God teaching the teacher of Israel. Nicodemus had abandoned the curriculum he had been given that he had been commissioned to believe and teach, going all the way back to the Old Testament and 
Places like Exodus 36, 25, and 27, we've read it before. Let me read it again. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean, God says to Israel. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. And then you will be careful to observe my ordinances. Sounds an awful lot like what Jesus just said in the verses preceding, doesn't it? The Spirit does. God does. The Spirit does. The Spirit does the work. Nicodemus. And yet Nicodemus has missed it. These are the things that Nicodemus asks about, and yet these are the things that most humble us. These are the things we need to be humbled with brothers and sisters, to know that salvation from sin, it's not us. We can't do it. The Gospel doesn't come because we worked up enough faith. The Gospel comes because the Spirit has worked and created faith within us that we might believe and submit. We need to take the lesson from Jesus as well, just as much as Nicodemus done, has done. What Nicodemus should have known are the things that are not difficult to know. They're not. Jesus is very clear, isn't he? Ezekiel 36 is very clear. It's not hard to see it. But they are impossible to see when we are trying to believe it with our own wisdom, with our own reason, and our own strength. I didn't say they're hard. They're impossible. See, that's, that's Nicodemus' problem. He, uh, he's looking for a higher level of knowledge. And Jesus says what it requires, Nicodemus, is not higher knowledge. Not greater learning. It requires a lower level of self. You have to bankrupt yourself. You have to lay yourself aside. You've got to put yourself out of the way and hear and believe. And the Spirit, where the Spirit works, He generates belief. He generates faith. As the Word is preached, according to Paul in Romans chapter 10, where the Word is preached, that is the means by which the Spirit creates Belief. He draws through the preaching of the Word. And therefore, we must preach. We must evangelize. We must be determined. Why? That's how God saves sinners. And the Spirit's work in them causes them. And so obviously, it would appear that Nicodemus is not understanding that. Maybe the Spirit's not fully worked in his heart as he will later on. At this point, we don't know. But we know that he's struggling with this truth. And so now we look at the response of submission that Jesus requires of Nicodemus. Look in verse 11. Jesus again begins with that authoritative formula. Truly, truly. Of a truth, of a truth, I say to you. An authority that will present its credentials in verse 13. 
Look what Jesus says. Just let's, let's preempt a little bit because I don't know that we'll get there this morning. But Jesus says, on the basis of this, no one has ascended into heaven, but he who has descended from heaven, the Son of Man. In other words, nobody else has the authority to say what I'm saying to you. Therefore, I can say truly, truly. And so Jesus goes on. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and testify of what we have seen. And you do not accept our testimony. Now, there are a range of interpretations as to exactly what Jesus is saying and what he is seeking to accomplish and how he is accomplishing that here. None of those are so drastically different that they would change the real core of the meaning of the verse. But what is clear is this, is that Jesus is rebuking the approach of Nicodemus at best. At a minimum, he's rebuking Nicodemus. He he is calling out Nicodemus' retreat to his own pride. Well, I've never heard that before. How many of you have ever discovered that just because we've never heard it before doesn't make it not true? We call that normalcy bias. Well, it's never happened before. It doesn't mean it won't. Well, I've never heard that before. It doesn't mean it's not true. There's a lot of things in this great big world that we don't know about, but that doesn't make them not true, right? And so Jesus is saying, Nicodemus, you're retreating to your pride. You're retreating to what you know. Do you know how limited you are? Really, that's a question we all need to ask ourselves too. Am I aware of how limited I am? I mean, if, if some of the, the greatest students of the Bible have said that the, the, the best they believed they could do in getting right was a B, then I don't know what I would say about myself. Do I even belong in the classroom? And, and Nicodemus has retreated to his limitations. He's retreated to his pride and jesus by his use of the we is leveling nicodemus he's leveling his fellow jews so bound to their own abilities and hey if it's not in one of our books then it must not be and jesus is saying i write all the book i write all the truth all truth is god's truth as francis schaefer used to say he created the world he knows how it works he knows everything about everything And so he challenges Nicodemus. He says, well, listen, we speak of. Oh, oh, you and your we against me and my we. It's a it's a it's he's again that tit for tat. I'll match you, Nicodemus. You may come and you may say to me, verse two, we know. We know. Jesus says, well, welcome to the real we know. We possess the truth. I am the truth. He's continuing that challenge and that rebuke to Nicodemus' response based on his limited and even lack of real understanding. Jesus uses Nicodemus' Words to condemn him. 
If Nicodemus says in verse 2, we know. Jesus says in verse 11, we know more. Whatever you think you know, we know more. And by the way, Nicodemus, this is not based in some kind of limited knowledge that can be changed. This is based in solidified experiential truth. It has been tested and it has been proven to be true. And that's how it always is, isn't it? Regardless of what we think or what we have judged to be true, God and Scripture have the ultimate say. How many of you have ever discovered that? You go through and say, no, I'm right, I'm right, I'm right, I'm right. And then one day the Holy Spirit humbles you and you go, I was wrong. Boy, was I wrong. He convicts you. Boy, was I wrong. If we could say it in this simple way to Nicodemus and to ourselves this morning, an open Bible should result in a closed mouth. When we open our Bible, our mouths are closed unless it is confessing to God, unless it is worshiping God. An open Bible should result in our closed mouth. Because we have nothing to add. We don't really even have the basis in and of ourselves to interpret. Scripture interprets Scripture. It's not our own ideas. And this has not been true for Nicodemus. He continues to challenge and Jesus no longer allows him to challenge. Jesus says, well, you've spoken of what you know, Nicodemus. Now I say to you, we speak of what we know. And we testify, we give solemn testimony of what we have seen. You know, this goes, this goes to what John will write later in his epistles. In 1 John chapter 1, he opens with an almost eerily similar phrase, that which we know, that which we have handled, that which we have seen. The living word. Jesus says, that's the kind of knowledge I'm coming to you with, Nicodemus. Jesus continues to use the response, the the plural in his response. Notice what he says. Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and we testify of what we have seen. He, He is speaking of himself. He is answering Nicodemus. And then he lays down this hard rebuke. He says, if we were to interpret this roughly, but even more literally than any of the translations have it, you people, you people, do not accept. That's all of you. Hey, let's be honest, that's all of us. Apart from the Holy Spirit working in us, we are the you people of verse 11. We speak of what we know and we testify of what we have seen. That's Jesus. And you people do not accept it. That's that's how we're born. We are born unbelieving sinners who reject the truth of God and God's Word. And if you are here this morning and you are hearing me say this, you know that's true. That's how you were born. Did any of you ever get in trouble as children? 
for being defiant to your parents? Yes. Yeah, well, that just proves this. Any of you parents had to discipline your kids because they were defiant and self-willed and sinful? Yeah, that's every one of us. And Jesus is saying, that's how you all are. You all reject. D.A. Carson writes this, the failure to believe was more reprehensible than the failure to understand since it betrayed a fundamentally inadequate appreciation of who Jesus is. And now we get to the heart of the matter. Jesus says, you do not accept our testimony. The testimony of what? That Jesus is the Son of God. That Jesus is the promised Messiah who came to save sinners. You're rejecting that, Nicodemus, because you're rejecting me. You see, we can look at Nicodemus and we can pat him on the back in verses 1 and 2 and we can say, wow, Nicodemus, there's a lot of nice things to say about you. You came to Jesus, how, how neat, how exciting. But being curious about Jesus is not the same as coming to Jesus. Nicodemus was curious, but now it appears that he is skeptical. Jesus says, you and all of your your friends, you and all of your people have rejected me. And we've already read that, right? Again, we're not going to encounter anything in the rest of John's Gospel that we weren't set up for in chapter 1. Jesus came to His own and His own what? Did not receive Him. We We should expect this. Shouldn't be a surprise. We've been prepped for this and Jesus is just simply saying to Nicodemus, I said that, now here's proof. It's not that you don't understand that bothers me. It's that you reject me that bothers me. How many of you understood everything there was to understand about Jesus when you were saved? Not me. How many of you understood everything about what happened at the cross when you were saved? I mean everything. Like you just, you were brilliant on the matter. Not me. How many of you understood the entirety of who God is and what He's like when you were saved? Not me. I still don't. And and so the problem is not understanding. The problem is submission. The problem is accepting Jesus for who He is. And what Jesus is calling out here in verse 11 is this. Your lack of appreciation for who I am. It's not just a polite way to walk away and say, well, you know, I, don't, I can't really take that. It is, in fact, rejection. It is, in fact, rebellion. Whatever they may appear to be to themselves, elite scholars that just are simply weeding out, they're like the emperor with no clothes. And Jesus sees it for what it is. And He calls it for what it is. It's rejection. You are clearly not rejected. And that is what we do, whether we want to admit it or not, when we do not believe Scripture for what Scripture says. It is not some erudite, learned, well, I think I know better. It is out and out rejection and rebellion. So what's the rebuke? They've rejected the testimony of God Himself. They've witnessed the glory of God and then when pinned on it, they say He's a liar. 
They've heard the good news of the gospel of grace and they call it a counterfeit. In short, they they refuse to submit to Jesus and His teaching. Let me ask you a question. Where do you stand in relation to the truth Jesus has revealed? Do you accept Him for who He says He is? Do you accept your position as a sinner in need of salvation? Do you accept that He is the only way of salvation? He has revealed all of that and so much more. But let me say to you this morning, you may be here and you may say, well, I don't buy into that because I don't understand it all. I can't cross all the T's and dot all the I's and until I can, I'm not believing that Christianity stuff. Yeah, but you know this is true. And the most dangerous place in the world to be is the place of standing in direct rejection of God's revealed truth. There is no more dangerous place than to have heard the truth and rejected the truth. Any of it. All of it. That is the most dangerous place to be. It is more dangerous than Afghanistan. It is more dangerous than a cartel-controlled war zone. It is more dangerous than living with stage 4 cancer that is about to claim your next breath and end your earthly life. It is more dangerous to stand in direct opposition to what Jesus says is true than anything else in the world. You are safer in the middle of a crossfire in a war zone than you are to defy the living God and say, I don't believe that. Which is exactly what Nicodemus is doing. What Jesus requires, brothers and sisters, is not a passing grade on the most detailed theological exam. That is not what Jesus wants. Thank God for that. Now, there's glory in learning. There is joy in learning. But that is not what God requires for our salvation. And I am thankful for that. What God requires for our salvation is not a passing grade, but a bent knee. Bow the knee to Jesus. Accept what He says as truth. Nicodemus wants an explanation that he can grasp and then execute and write about. Jesus calls him to put his faith where his memory had been. Nicodemus, I'm not after you to learn. I'm after you to submit. To believe. Nicodemus certainly knows the Old Testament passages that talked about Jesus, that talked about everything that Jesus says. You know, here's the thing about Jesus. Get this in your minds, brothers and sisters. This will help you. He was not a free-thinking radical. Jesus was an Old Testament preacher. Everything He says is based on the Scripture. That's why He says, it has been written, it has been said, Truly, truly, I say to you, he is always going back and relying on truth that had been revealed. And he does that in John 3. John 3 is simply a sermon about Ezekiel 36 and so many other places in the Old Testament. 
Nicodemus certainly knows those passages. He no doubt had them memorized, but he had not accepted them. He had not submitted to them. He had not surrendered everything else for the sake of believing those truths. Thus Jesus comes and He lays this hard challenge, this gracious rebuke that He might awaken Nicodemus to his own error before it is too late. I'm not going to allow you to continue to live in a lie. Someone recently asked me, they were in a tough situation. And they said, what do I do about it? I said, you need to get out of it. I said, because the longer you stay, you perpetuate a lie. And God is a God of truth. Don't play with lies. The lie of rebellion and the lie of Rejection. Maybe you're here this morning and you say, you know, I'm not a Christian. That's okay. For now. But I'm telling you, it won't always be okay. You'll give an account for every sin. Every sin. Every sinful thought. Every sinful motive. God knows. And God, yes, is keeping a list. He knows. He's not winking at our sin and letting it slide. And so, while you may be trying to figure it out at this point, say, I'm not a Christian, that's okay. But I'm here to tell you what Jesus would tell you in His Word. It's not okay to stay that way. You must bow the knee. You must come to Christ. You must believe that He is the Son of God. You must place your faith and hope of salvation from sin that will send you to an eternal punishment in hell. You must believe that Jesus is the only answer for that. That He came and lived a sinless life in your place, died carrying your sins to the cross, that He was then raised up, and as we read earlier in our confession about baptism, All those who believe in Him will be raised with Him. We are in Him now. But the key is Him. We must bow the knee to Him. We must believe Him and accept Him for who He is. And what He has come to do that He will get to in more detail next week and in the weeks following. But this morning, maybe you're convicted. Maybe the Holy Spirit has opened your eyes and said, you know what? I'm a sinner. I know I'm a sinner. What do I do? I want to be saved. I want to know forgiveness. Turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. Turn your eyes on Him. Look upon Him as the one sent down from heaven for you and then lifted up again for you on a cross. Trust that what He did, He did for you to forgive you. To bear your punishment of death. Let's bow our heads.
Nicodemus was a religious man. And religion wouldn't save him. Nicodemus couldn't turn to other priests within his own system and get their help. They couldn't help him. Only one man could. Only the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ is our only help. He is our only Savior. You say, I'm still confused. Hey, listen, will you come talk to me after the service? I'll be out in the foyer. Come pull me aside. We can go to my office and talk. We can look at the Scriptures together. We can see how it is that Jesus provides the answer for your sin. That He can be your Savior too. Christian, for those of you who have had your eyes open, you've seen this. You you believe this. God has revealed this to you. Today's a great day of rejoicing. As you look back and say, I'm so glad God didn't require more learning, more good works, more of this, more of that. I'm so thankful that God sent His Son to be raised on a cross in my place and bear my punishment. It's a day of great thanksgiving, a great day of rejoicing for us as we remember that. Father, thank You for Your Word. So difficult communicate in my own limited ability to to communicate the glorious saving truths present here in John 3. And so Holy Spirit, I, I ask You as we all leave now and go our separate ways, would You please preach a better sermon than I have? And would you continue to work creating life where there had only been death, opening blind eyes, unsealing deaf ears, softening hard hearts as you promised you would do for your people. You would take out hearts of stone and you would put in hearts of flesh that would believe. I can't, but you can. I won't go home with these people, but you will. You are everywhere, unfailing at all times. You are the great evangelist of our souls that draw us to the Father through the Son. So as we conclude our time, may you continue your ministry. And save those who need to be saved. And strengthen the believers that need to be strengthened. Creating in us a heart of worship and thanksgiving. We pray all this for the sake of Jesus, our Savior and King. Amen.